What can the Pacers learn from their lineups with their two wingiest players, Jordan Wara and O'Shea Brissett? And what does it mean for the future of the Pacers team building plans? Will Furr's going to join us and dive into that today. Plus, which players fit the Pacers identity best and which young guys can step up in that way? And when is the best time for the Pacers to make the Bucks version of the Drew Holiday trade? We'll get to all of that today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers. Your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today... We are diving into a topic I think is really interesting for the future of this Pacers team, and that is lineups with Jordan Wara and O'Shea Brissett. Why those two specifically? Well, they're bigger than all the Pacers guards, and they're smaller than all the Pacers bigs. They are true modern NBA-sized wings slash power forwards in a way the Pacers haven't had much in the last couple years. What do lineups with both of them tell us about their skill set, how they fit with the Pacers and their identity, and how the Pacers need to build their team long-term. Will Fur, formerly of 8.9 seconds and the Fieldhouse, two of the greatest Pacers blogs for your Pacers of all time. We'll join us to talk about that, plus the Pacers' identity and who fits it among the young guys on this team with six games left. And when's the best time for the Pacers to make their version of the Bucks' Drew Holiday trade? Going all in on a guy who can push them over the top. We'll get to all that today on Locked on Pacers with Will Fur. Let's do it. We are now joined by Will for one of the legends of the OG 8.9 seconds days with the Fieldhouse in the Golden Era as well. We've got a lot of fun stuff to get to between the Jordan Wara O'Shea Brissett duo, the identity of this team, and what it means for their offseason and the Pacers Bucks tonight. I got to ask a different question about the Bucks than last time. So we'll dive into something about that. Will, how are you? You don't write anymore. So uh, I don't get to chat with you about the Pacers as much. Yeah, it's been too long, man. I'm doing well. How how are things? I know you're working for like eight different places about the Pacers now. <laughs> Eight's the perfect number I have determined at this point of the season. The duo we're highlighting today, Jordan Wara and O'Shea Brissett, might seem obscure, but you know, last week I did Halbert Matherin for obvious reasons, potentially the duo. Uh, I also want to do Jackson Smith at some point because that double big combo is potentially important to their strategizing of the summer. Wara and Brissett are the only two dudes between guard size and center size on the entire Pacers roster. I kind of in my head constitute Duarte and Neesmith as wings. Maybe that's just because my brain forces me to covering this team and the size of players that they have. But Neesmith can kind of guard some of them. Duarte has struggled to do so this year. These two in my head seem noteworthy for the Pacers and their evaluation of how much they need forwards, what type of forwards they need, et cetera, because they're the only guys you can plug into a lineup that are that size. And so, you know, individually, like their offense is really good when just Wara's out there and their defense is pretty good when just Brissett's out there. But have they played with two big dudes together on the wing? The answer is yes, Will. Uh, unfortunately, the answer is yes, because those 77 minutes have been terrible. The Pacers defense, really good, really good. Let's start with the really good thing. 112.7 defensive rating on the dot. Uh, NBA.com's estimation might be a little different from that. Uh, the offense, well, yikes, 161 points on 161 possessions. That is a 100 offensive rating. That would be the worst in the NBA by almost 10 points per 100 possessions. What do you think about maybe not that duo long term, but conceptually the idea of the Pacers exploring those wing groups? And do you feel like those numbers are reflective of what they've been so far? 
Well, I definitely think the the uptick in defense is real. Uh, when you're playing Aaron Neesmith or, God, Andrew Nembard or <laughs> Chris Duarte as a power forward, you're only going to get so far on the defensive end. So having two guys, not just one, but two guys who are forward-sized, who can theoretically at least guard forward-sized people, uh, it's, it's going to help the team regardless. Nor is not uh, some great shakes defensively. He's actually been much better on that end than I anticipated uh, from what I had heard from and seen from Buck's Twitter. Uh, he's He's been adequate, which was... <laughs> More than Buck's Twitter thought he They're was. They're tossing be. him on Luca, and I'm kind of like, yeah, that's fine. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He did a good job. He did a good job last night. Uh, but just it, it really highlights the dearth of forwards on this team. And it is insane to me that Brissett didn't play for what feels like three quarters of the year. That's a topic for another day. Um, but the, I think the defense is real. I think having at least one, if not two forward sized guys alongside Turner, uh, is obviously going to be a positive thing, especially when they're forward sized and not center sized. Um, the Pacers went from one extreme of having Sabonis to the other extreme of having, you know, four guys who were six foot four, six foot five. Uh, and it it took Carlisle a little bit, and it took this trade. But I think the defense is definitely real. Uh, the offense is just gross. <laughs> it's well, is not good. It's funny looking at the extremes. You could even say they did that this season because Jalen Smith was the four for whatever it was, 25 games to start this season. And I get why they did that, but that is not the right choice. The the the, the thing about it is is less about the skills of Vora and Brissett specifically, although I – I have been impressed with Quora and I like you have been a fan of Brissett the whole time he's here, but just more so about like what you said, like they don't have dudes that size, like since Thad young, even that was five years ago. Now, when did he leave 2018 summer? Uh, I mean, they, they have had McDermott is that size. Technically, I don't think anyone really thinks of him as like this big <laughs> wing. Um, man, they have, they have not had very many of guys of that size who are like good enough to be on the floor. That's why Brissett, like he, he was on 10 days and then immediately they started him in playing games because he was so valuable that Bjork Grenier, right? Like having players that size is valuable. And so seeing how they can boost this team, I think is important, even if it's not about those two specifically being on the team long-term. I mean, war is under contract next year, but Brissett isn't, they don't have a lot of roster spots. Like they could bring him back, but then the, they're, it's going to complicate even more things. I don't want to talk about that right this second, but I do think right. it's to just explore what having, you know, not, not modern size necessarily, but the Raptors certainly think so. Like their whole team's that size, like of what that means for this team. And the other clouding part of this for me is I wanted to dive in and see, well, their offense has been terrible, right? When they're both out there. But what have they, how have they done with those two out there alongside Tyrese Halliburton? Because that's key to know. How does Halliburton, can he create enough on his own to buoy these two in groups? Uh, well, you know how many minutes those two together have played with Halliburton this season? How many, please? The answer me. is zero. It has not happened at all. <laughs> so unfortunately, that data point hasn't happened. When Halliburton returned this past weekend, Brissett didn't play, hardly played. Uh, the, he missed the six games before that. So his overlap with Wara in general hasn't been that big. It's only like a 10 or 11 game sample. And when Wara plays, he's usually with the second unit instead of Brissette. There's a lot of players to peel back on why it hasn't happened. But 
that's part of why their offensive rating is 100 because they haven't played with the dude who's like an automatic average offense floor. But at the same time, I would like to know that data point as well, which that's kind of a bummer. But at the same time, I think learning that, hey, two dudes this size can can buoy your defense alone is still valuable for this team. Yeah. Yeah. I'd assume they'd play all their minutes with either Nembhard or TJ McConnell. Um, obviously McConnell, who's been a revelation from three this year. So happy for him, but he still only takes like one a game. Uh, not great for spacing or creation. And Nemhard is still figuring the game out. Uh, the the entire Pacers offense, as you mentioned, when it doesn't have Halliburton, it does not look, uh, it's, it's not great, Bob. Uh, only two minutes with Turner. So it's not like their defensive numbers are inflated by the backstop. 75 out of 77 minutes without him. Uh, they defended pretty well in, the, in those two minutes, but I'm not going <laughs> to sort of stock any sort of stock in that. But yeah, it's just interesting to look at all these combos and kind of go, oh, okay, you know, that's interesting. That isn't interesting, whatever. Ironically, Will, you mentioned the point guard part of it. You know, their most played lineup together, the point guard's actually George Hill. Like that is what the, the yeah, I know. You can't get a lot of information uh. from, from <laughs> that specifically, but that group scored 29 points on 29 possessions, which is like 112 offensive rating. Like, that's pretty good. So maybe that, I don't know, maybe you can hang your hat on some things. But this is a, an overwhelmingly small sample. A lot of the groups they've been with have had Jalen Smith as the big and McConnell as the one. And most of them have just kind of been stuck in the mud offensively because that's not a lot of shooting in general. Like, Nwora can Nwora, I always say the end just because of the end at the end of his first name. I got to get better about that. In general, you, you only have one quality shooter with those groups unless your buddy heals with the second unit for the rest of the season thing continues and he returns to the lineup we'll see but that's going to make it hard to have a, a solid offense in general as good as mcconnell's improvement has been and smith can occasionally make them it's not a lot of threats right you're relying a lot on your point guard to create shots from anywhere on the floor unless war is truly this pick and roll maestro like he showed in atlanta so uh, that, that's part of it as well is they just haven't played with Halbert and the groups they're with don't have the requisite shooting to really elevate them, even though the defense has been good. Yeah, obviously Brissett is a very dependent offensive player. Uh, he can he can hit an open three. He can catch and bounce and you know take it to the rim on a bad closeout. Uh, I I don't know about Wara. He the the twenty five or twenty eight point quarter whatever it was really threw me for a loop. You don't expect that. Uh, but I still think he's more of a dependent scorer on the whole, too. And when when you just don't have the offensive engine and then you're playing with Jalen Smith, who's also a dependent scorer, or Isaiah Jackson, who is a far more dependent scorer than either of them, you know, like you said, things are going to get sticky and the ball kind of dies. And, and the, the 100 offensive rating is, is not a surprise with those lineups. My favorite group, just numerically, uh, it's only played against Charlotte. It played for eight and a half minutes. McConnell, Wara, Brissett, Jackson, and Smith. As big as possible. Their defense was ridiculous in those eight and a half minutes. They gave up 13 points in uh, in in that eight minutes on 20 possessions. So that's a defensive rating of about 65. <laughs> That'll work. That'll do it. Um, in general, that's not sustainable, and they were playing the Hornets. But uh, I think conceptually, the, the blueprint is there that, like, Size alone can help your defense. That would be my takeaway from the numbers. But at the same time, uh, if they have n- very few offensive skills or the word you're using that I like to, you know, they're kind of dependent on others to get set up. They need to play with <laughs> a creator or specifically Tyrese Halberton for it to really mesh with what the Pacers are right now. Yeah. 
Hey guys, one short little break here so I can talk to you about Ultimate Pro Basketball GM, the coolest game I've played in a long time. I've always thought I could be a great GM, as you know from listening to me on this show. As it turns out, it's real hard. If you've had the same thought and have thought about managing your own basketball franchise, go ahead and download Ultimate Pro Basketball GM right now, the game that allows you to manage every strategic aspect of your franchise, playing through seasons, leading your team and fans to glory, building a dynasty, dealing with challenging personalities, hiring the right staff, trading and training players, making draft picks, just navigating your franchise through everything. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball Gym, completely free, playable offline, on the go, as you want, when you want. Check it out. The Ultimate Pro Basketball GM Locked On group has been really fun. Uh, Pat, the designer, the Locked On Bulls host, is kicking everybody's butt. We've had a lot of smack talk. You can do it with your friends. It's super fun. Locked On Pacers listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So make sure to check it out. To download the game, just visit probasketballgm.com. Scan the code on your screen on YouTube or look it up in the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. I want to pivot now uh, because... We just watched the Pacers play a starting lineup of all 24 and younger dudes and their bench. They played with the other two young dudes they have available as well as two veterans because you literally can't play a seven man rotation and not have dudes uh, get really muscle sore the next day. Uh, younger stuff coming for the Pacers. We'll see if Halliburton Turner or healed play again this season or not. Uh, kind of doubt it. Yeah. You know, Buddy might because he's. I, I know Buddy would, he's crazy Buddy, about it. Again. Buddy, I think might play again. I don't know about the other two. They have a winning record when Turner and Halberton overlap this season. Like it, it, it's risky. Although they do play some tough opponents either way. Uh, either way, um, I think you're going to see a lot more of the younger guys. I don't think that's a surprise. They did it last year. Right? If you look at their last seven, eight games, whatever, it's like 30 minutes of Dwayne Washington and Terry Taylor, and you know, right. Wrong didn't play. The the part that I'm intrigued by this year compared to last year is last year it was clear that they were headed for more change with their team and the Brogdon trade was going to happen. They had this high draft pick this year. They have enough of the core in place that to me you kind of know what the identity of the team is that you didn't last year at all. Like that was actually a big thing for me was Karis Levert and Malcolm Brogdon both said something totally different when I asked them what the identity of the team is. This year, it's obvious what they want to do, how they want to do it, play fast, get the ball out of the crowd, run it up the floor, five on four, even after makes our offense is going to be so fast and random, you can't stop it. That is what I think is the interesting part beyond talent and growth of these last six games is can anybody step up or shine in a way where they fit that identity or stand out in that speed or can can manufacture it in a way that when Tyrese Halliburton isn't out there, makes it clear that they would fit with the next version of this team. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is when I was talking to someone who covers the Nuggets, we did we did a whole podcast about team building for this, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, drafting players and acquiring players who fit with the Nuggets identity that Jokic can can operate and create has made has what's made them grow so effectively. And now they're the one seed in the West. So like that is something new for the Pacers to consider in team building. That wasn't the case last summer is adding players is good, obviously, but adding players specifically who fit with Halliburton and their identity is important. So for you, well, when you look kind of at how the Pacers will play in these last six games, do you feel like if anyone is speeding things up or is fitting in in a certain frame of reference or identity, would that like boost their chances of being a long-term piece for you? How are you kind of viewing that down the stretch? Um, as far as boosting the chances long-term, I think war has got the biggest opportunity. Uh, he's yes. He's got to show that he can fit into some of 
it, it, obviously being able to show he would fit in with Halliburton would be great, but he's got to show quick decision-making and the, the quickness that the Pacers want to run with. Like you mentioned, running even on makes. Uh, and this is something that's drove me, driven me nuts about Nemhard and Matherin all year is they, they both can get so deliberate. They want to walk the ball and they want to assess. And I know as rookies, you know, they may not see the court the same way and that, that type of thing will come. But Wara does some of that too. Uh, and that's, that's going to be a pivot point on the Pacers' identity is having guys that can make quick decisions, uh, either go, shoot, or pass. And I, I think even without Halliburton, even without Turner, that's something that uh, Carlisle can look for. That's something he can push is, hey, this is, this is your audition. This is your chance. I want to see you make quick decisions. I want to see you move. Uh, and he's he's a big one. Um, I obviously Matherin's a part of the future. There's there's no doubt there. I, I think he's an all star, and I think that's going to be in his future. But having him in the starting lineup, I think that's something he really needs to focus on is being quicker in his decisions. Uh, and I I would I'm watching for that over these final few games to see if that's something that's even being worked on. I have no idea what's happening behind the scenes, obviously, but it's one thing for him to, to catch it in the second unit and size up and think about it. and Maybe dribble a couple times, catch a pick and roll, try to get a mismatch, whatever he does in the starting lineup. He's not going to have mismatches. You know, he's going to be going against Jimmy Butler or Chris Middleton or drew holiday tonight. You know, if, Milwaukee's playing their dudes he's gonna have to move quick and that's that's what I'm watching for um guys who can make that quick decision even these last few games even if it's the wrong one can you make the decision agreed a decision like Buddy Heald the decision is the same one every time but he he gets the shot up really fast like that's that's good right Uh, I'll be curious with the Bucks if they play their guys throwing a back-to-back, and I think the Celtics is their second game, which is just a wee bit more important uh, for their season (laughs) at this stage. So we'll see what they prioritize. Wara is an interesting shout. Like Carlisle has been talking about with him, getting him some of those playmaking opportunities, and I always have said, like, I don't think that's like run, pick, and rolls, but at the same time, he kind of has been doing that a few few times these last few games, which is surprising, but... (laughs) You know, with rookies, like, they're coming from college to the pros. Like, you're kind of molding them to your identity. They've never played in the NBA. Wara went from the Bucks, who play really slow, and his job was stand stand over there and don't move unless all other four guys go to the other side of the court and then come up a little bit and then go back. Like, it's way different processing for him. So not only for me is it making quicker decisions with him, but just seeing him, like, completely change that mindset and that speed, that's hard, right? So... I'll be curious to see how he can do that and agreed on the, I think the quicker decision-making extends to everybody basically. Like they have a lot of guys who he've either played in slower systems before or are learning to play faster. Isaiah Jackson makes quick decisions. I think like when he screens, he immediately sprints to the rim, which is like right. 80% of his offensive role. No concerns there, but in general, there's not a single guy that I would point to and say, yeah, that oh, Brissett's pretty good at quicker decisions too, but of the guys that are going to be playing a lot that are young, you know, I think all of them can show a little bit more in that department. Matherin's interesting. Like 
if it could somehow be drilled into his head every time he catches the ball, that there's five seconds left on the shot clock, then he then he'd be awesome. The the identity part of this because he in those situations right away on the floor, I'm trying to get around this guy, trying to get to my spot, like. When he sizes guys up, he still scores. He's a good isolation player, especially for a rookie. He gets to the line, but he makes the quick decisions when the shot clock's winding down. Like somehow, if that could be more habitual or shown more in these games, even if it's like playmaking reps, that would be very interesting to me. I'll be curious if if anybody stands out. Yes, skill growth and Rick Carlisle's words, like adding responsibilities. You know, all that is important and will be beneficial for these guys long term, but also for the team that is going to have a by default, by having five draft picks and a ton of cap space and only three free agents, a very, very busy offseason full of many decisions evaluating these guys and their long-term fit with the team is is just as important as skill growth. Yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of hard choices this offseason. And I, guys, like, I know they signed Jalen Smith to a multi-year deal. I know Mora's got more than a year. He'll be under contract next year somewhere, if not here. But I do think these guys are... Uh, really competing over these last few games to show like they they want to be on the Pacers and they want to have a role because let's let's face it, especially guys like Wara and Jalen Smith, if they if they can't eke out a role on the Pacers, they they're gonna struggle to go elsewhere, to be traded elsewhere into a role and not be a twelfth thirteenth guy. Uh, so these are these are really big games for them, uh, and. I think, like you said, uh, the the additional responsibility will be really interesting to see if they can do anything with that, if they can make use of that, like like Wara did the other day. Yeah, I agree, and th- that is the subtext of all this. That you know, I, w- I was reading through like Carlisle's comments about all this stuff before and after the game they just played. Like they're they're mixed in a new lineup, in a new group before, like a month ago. He mentioned that they had a practice where like for two minutes they ran Mather in a point guard. Like all this stuff is really important. And so as they come into this offseason, uh, all this information will be helpful. There's a player's name we haven't said, Will. And this is the second podcast in a row, I think, in a lot of discussion of Pacers young players that's just overlooked this guy completely. Chris Duarte is a guy who I would like to see mm-hmm. his decision-making in these games because he... For all the things I think he's good at, I still think he projects to be, despite it not happening at all this year, a very good shooter. I don't know about the rest of his offensive game, but the the shooting I think is going to be great. Has struggled to fit in with the much faster style of this year, whereas last year, slower, more methodical, he was was an all-rookie dude, like was one of their best players in the first two months of the season. That hasn't materialized this year. I don't know what his health status is, right? He only has played five minutes total in their last, whatever, seven games now. But if he can get some reps out there and, and show a little bit of that quick decision-making, I think that would go a, a hugely long way for him because that's been one of the things that's kind of hurt him in terms of fitting in this year. I would love to see him. If if Buddy Heald coming off the bench is a real thing, which I hope it is, I, I think Buddy Heald's six-man assassin is just his ultimate role, and I think that's what he should be. I would love to see Duarte next to him because I think Matherin came in yeah. and took exactly what Duarte did. That was his exact role on offense on the second unit. And Duarte just looked lost at the beginning of the year. And then he got hurt. Obviously, injuries are a concern. This is two years now that have been plagued by injuries. Um, But if Matherin's going to be the starter, then absolutely. Let's let's get Duarte some minutes next to a guy who wants to catch and shoot. 
versus Duarte, who wants to run some pick and rolls, and he wants to have some meandering drives and do some stuff with the ball. Uh, I think he just really hasn't had that opportunity playing alongside Mather, and, and that's a problem for the future, obviously. Uh, two back-to-back picks, your 13th pick and your 6th pick, I think. You need them to be able to play together. That's that's a problem if they can't coexist well. But I, I think he would fit better next to Buddy. And I think we may get a chance to see that if he's healthy. I'll steal a line from one of your old articles. A good problem to have is still a problem, right? Like if those guys can't coexist, <laughs> like they're both young and, and kind of talented, but like that's still something you have to solve. And so I, I agree with you that that'd be interesting to explore with Duarte. Like, remember it's, it's re- this season's been crazy with guys in and out and all this stuff, but like Duarte started for them to start the season. Like they had faith in his ability to, to add from year one. And that hasn't quite happened yet. And there's a chance here if they trend a little younger down the stretch to finally put for to have him put a little stamp on some identity stuff for like his, his March pre injury was good. Like he was playing good this month specifically, before getting hurt in a way that I was like, oh, interesting, and then got hurt again. You know, a tough, really tough season on the injury front for him. One more break here, guys, so I can talk to you about FanDuel Tournament heating up. Final Four coming in soon. There's no better place to get in on that action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net in Houston on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Always talk about who the Pacers play because the games have to matter, even if the Pacers' results are not necessarily the most important thing at this stage. I just did something on the Bucks with Brendan King like a week and a half ago, talking about the inability to defend Giannis and what that means for the Pacers' team building. So we'll go the other direction of the team building part for the Bucks. They were always pretty good in those late Giannis years when he was ascending and becoming an All NBA dude, and the Bucks couldn't get over the second round hump. And then they traded what was, at the time, perceived to be a lot of stuff for Drew Holiday. Uh, And that worked out great for them, obviously. He's been an all-star for them, and they won a championship, and they're a contender to do it again. And if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt last year, hey, maybe they've won two in a row. Um, And that got me thinking, such a trade is always important for teams in their life cycle. The Hawks tried to do it last summer. That was too early. Uh, Some teams try to do it too late. Maybe the Blazers with CJ McCollum, although that's a little different. Um, When you look at the Pacers, they have a lot of young guys and draft equity and who knows what that'll look like even four months from now. But, you know, they could be a team in a position to at some point do something like that. Let's trade for a very good player to pair with Halberton plus Matherin or Halberton plus whoever. When do you feel right now? It's late to say but the business of making predictions with seven games left here, six games left here. When would you say would be the best time for the Pacers to make that sort of venture, given what we know right now? I look at it in kind of two different ways. Uh, Obviously in Indiana, it kind of like in Milwaukee, you may not get the opportunities that other teams get. Um, You may not get guys who are willing to say, yeah, I'll resign there. Yeah. I'll be happy to, to be there, to stay there, to grow there. Uh, so part of this comes down to opportunity. 
you know, they may not be able to make the perfectly timed move. If something presents itself, they have the cap space. Uh, obviously Halliburton is not getting paid commiserate to who he is right now. That is a window that they have the opportunity to take advantage of. Ideally, I, I would think not next year, but maybe the following, depending on Matherin's progress. If you see Matherin in the starting lineup and he's this, you know, 18 to 20 point a game scorer and he's doing it with relative efficiency, you know, if he if he maintains the, the free throw numbers and his three point shooting is pretty decent and he's doing OK as a starter, I think that's when you can start to look at that and really look for a wing, a forward, somebody who's six foot seven to six foot nine. Uh, it's tough, obviously, because the whole NBA is looking for those guys. Yep. You know, maybe uh, maybe somebody like a Paul George will come available. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, look, if it's someone that talented, the timing doesn't matter. Like, you, right. just, you just do it when it happens. But, you know, ideally a couple things are the case. Like one, they'd have to know they're good enough to do that, right? Like it's hard to project when they'll have made the second round or even the conference finals once or twice to go, okay, we need another dude, right? That they're, they're not even a playoff bound team yet. So it's really tough to make that prediction. That said, you know, it, it sort of seems naturally like playoffs next year, maybe went around the year after that you're looking at 2024, 25 is like the first year of that. So maybe 2025, range two years from now three years from now is when you start to have these conversations um in terms of the winning cycle the actual growth cycle of the team maybe they get ahead of schedule they're already ahead of schedule theoretically um but in general that would make sense to me the other factor that makes some sense to me is contractually right you can't just trade for drew holiday you have to send away eric bledsoe and i forget what else was in that there was other stuff um miritich maybe i think miritich was another um Two years now, well, Miles Turner will be in the final year of his deal. Chris Duarte will be in the final year of his deal. Isaiah Jackson will. And, like, none of them could be on the team by then either. It, you know, the NBA changes so fast. The Pacers are early in this team-building project. But in general, contractually, it also kind of lines up that, like, 2025, 2026 range would be about the time to sniff something like this out. So, intuitively, that kind of range is what makes sense to me if I had to just, like, pick a day this second or pick a year or whatever. The trouble is that the the success has to come first, right? You can't jump the gun. And that's why it's hard to say you have to see the results first. And that hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, obviously the team with Halliburton and Turner, like you said earlier, they had a winning, a winning record. They were a winning basketball team when both of them played. Uh, I think it is plenty conceivable that that could continue given that they're going to have, pretty much anybody they want back next year. And they're going to have a good draft pick and a couple of not so good draft picks that they could do stuff with, you know, maybe they find another Nemhard or maybe they package some and get something for it. You never know. Um, but I, I would kind of rather see them move early than late. I think that Halliburton is going to, I think we're going to be having that super max discussion that we had years ago about Paul George. I think that's going to come around for Halliburton. And if the team doesn't have a, a sustained track record of winning already at that point, it's going to be really hard for the Simons to give him 
that contract. So I would rather see them move maybe a year early and put the team in a winning situation with the understanding that it still needs a two or three year growth plan. And that's, that's fraught with peril. Obviously we've seen that go wrong in new Orleans twice now, not just once. Um, I don't want them to empty the coffers and cash in everything. Please no Rudy Gobert trade. Let's, let's stay out of that. But I, I would rather see them make some kind of move earlier than later. If, if we're not going to be able to time it perfectly, I would lean earlier. It's never perfect, right? Like, you know, you can plan all you want, but you can't decide when someone's available. Yeah, I think Halliburton's contract's a big part of this too, right? Like this summer, I think it's easy. Like you just hand him the five-year max and hope he signs it. And then he'll say, well, I think I'm going to make all NBA. So I want the boosted rookie max. And they'll say, let's talk about this. And and you probably still do it anyway because he's amazing. But, you know, after that, then once he hits year seven, I believe is the first year. Like if he makes all NBA, the question immediately becomes super max, right? And that's four years out. But we just talked about the trade potentially being three or two years away, right? So, you know, that's only one or two years of overlap. And that's you know, not a hugely massive window for anything to happen. So you never know what can happen. The NBA is ridiculous right now in terms of how quickly, you know, eras and teams and players move on. Like the Brooklyn Nets trio <laughs> started and ended in like a calendar year, basically. So all this stuff, it, it can happen so fast. You have to think that way as well and he's he's so good that he's a blank checkbook level of of talent it looks like he's going to be so maybe it's just easy and you're willing to pay him every step of the way and that lets you have more time but yeah you have to be cost conscious all the time and the new cba is certainly also a wrinkle that will make this a little more difficult too like will any player even have a lot of time left on their deal along the way that is projected to be 2025 as well i'm just saying that year keeps standing out to me so we'll see but in that range is when I feel like if this team ascends, like it looks like they could, that would be about the time to strike and try to, to do the, what the bucks did with drew and, and, and finally get over the top. Yeah, I agree. I think 25 would be a good year. 25, 26 ish. That sounds so far away. I can't believe that that's not far away. Like (laughs) that is equally far away to 2020, which is just stupid to say. (laughs) Everything since 2020 has just been a year. Yeah, not even a year, right? Less than a year. It's, it, it, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it's just weird. Like every March, I'm like, man, March of 2020 was so recent. It's so weird. I'm like, nope, that was a long time ago. Um, Thank you, Will, for the time. Lots of I, I like these kind of discussions late in the season, pinpointing all sorts of futury stuff and topics about other teams that are relevant to the Pacers. Where can people follow you and your Pacers musings as the season winds down? Absolutely, man. Uh, you can follow me at... Will Fur NBA. That's F U R R. Um, I haven't been on Twitter a lot lately. I'm, me, me and Twitter have had some objections, but <laughs> I, I do still muse about the Pacers there. I love talking about them, and I'm happy to be on, man. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll have to talk about Matherin in the summer. We've talked about having a Matherin conversation before, but could not get to it today. Tomorrow, we'll, of course, be talking whatever happened in Pacers Bucks. Big story from the game and potentially some mad and stuff depending on if they win their playoff game or not traveling queen pacers two-way guard is suspended for tonight's game so we'll see how they ultimately end up doing we'll see how that goes thank you everybody so much for listening have a fantastic day we will see you tomorrow